Good morning, everyone. Friends, we start with the letter to the Hebrews. It continues to talk about Jesus Christ, our high priest. And it goes on as we, we see it. Paul is saying, Christ took on the sins of humanity to himself freely. And his sacrifice has opened the gates of salvation to all who will approach him. Friends, the... First reading, although it sounds almost fanciful and uh, hard to believe uh, when you look at it, about the prophet and this widow and her son and the account that happened. And uh, I want to remind you, <clears throat> there were times when Jesus uh, constructed parables to teach a moral truth. And uh, the parable is a made-up story by Jesus, constructed but uh, what we hear in the scriptures today are not parables. These are accounts of something that happened. So the first reading about and Jesus is a day in Jesus' life. Um, friends, um, sometimes uh, when I encounter this gospel, I wonder why Christ didn't say something to the widow. And in reflection, I suspect uh, the woman had no idea that our Lord was observing her. And that woman could not even have imagined that she would be remembered thousands of years later by Christians, particularly every time this gospel is proclaimed and every time a preacher will preach on it. The brief account has important truths for us today. There is a contrast between the widow, who gave little, as Jesus said, and the other contributors, who gave a great deal more. The Lord remarks that the little she gave represented her very self. He said her whole lot, everything, mind, body, so everything she had, she gave. People have been and can be very generous to the church. Some give money in very large amounts. Others give of their time and their talent, as we call it. Others, uh, their devout loyalty to God and to Mother Church. It does seem that this account, that the Lord's emphasis is not on quantity, but on quality. And this has greater implications than just a dollar bill. This difference can hold true throughout a whole life of faith and in religion. I would put forth that it is not the number of prayers that one says that is important, but the sincerity in which one prays. It is not necessarily the number of hours spent inside of a church that is important. But what is one doing while they are in that church? It is not the frequency of confession that is so important, but rather the sincerity of the person's contrition and the depth of the person's willingness to amend their life. The Lord's emphasis is on depth, sincerity, and honesty, and faith. 
This is the heart of true religion. Otherwise, religion is reduced to external motions and empty gestures. That's part of what the first part of the reading from Mark, Jesus' criticism of the religious authorities of his time was about. The letter to the Hebrew today read, reminds us that Jesus gave his father everything, everything he was to his last breath on earth. He sacrificed. He gave his whole livelihood for you and I. We are called to do the same. Another contrast found in the gospel account is between the widow and the scribes. What the Lord criticizes about some of the leaders of the people is not their public expression of faith, but that that public expression was all there was to it. It was empty gestures. It was for public consumption, as we understand it today. Inside, they were spiritually deficient. The couple of coins the widow placed in the treasury box, the poor box, expressed a level of sacrifice and generosity the scribes were unprepared to do. It becomes a temptation always to substitute external expressions for inner conversions. Of course, the opposite extreme would be to claim inner conversion that is never applied or seen in how one lives their life. And this is a great criticism uh, to many a Christians that they're hypocrites. Marins, in these cases, one practices faith without, with a heart that is far from God, to paraphrase some scriptures, and the other is to have Jesus on their heart, but in their life they practice not his ways. Friends, a final point to consider about this account of the widow is the fact that in Jesus' time in the nation of Israel, which was so unfaithful to God so often. There was within them a small group of people called the Holy Remnant. This Holy Remnant were the people who kept the faith. They were loyal to God in all things. It was vital and refreshing and alive. Oftentimes, widows were the symbol and the icon of this group because they had, through their challenges in life, been cleansed and made strong in faith. And they came to know and understand their dependence was ultimately on God. They were the spiritual heart of their nation. In this, they could be said to be a tangible reality of renewal and revival that Israel, the nation, needed so often. My reflection on this, and I bring this up because you, we, are to be the holy remnant in our time. For our church that suffers, 
and for our nation that seems crazy at times. Of late, the danger of politicizing our theology and sprinkling our reflections with the vernacular of particular political parties and ideologies threatens to turn our churches into quasi-branches of politicalness. And if there is a blaspheme, that would be it. It makes me very angry when people treat Mother Church that way. To them, I say, shame on you. Your condemnation will be severe. Our church needs members that will speak the gospel and live the gospel truth without these influences. Faith is to influence politics, not the other way around, because it needs to be that way. The Word of God is for all people, For our nation, thus, the church can be a place where the truth of Christ is spoken and lived. Where his ways are alive and vibrant and renewing and refreshing. In all the seasons of life comes times when people seek a deeper truth about themselves and about the world for their life, about redemption and salvation, about cleansing and conversion and strength. The church can and should be that place where faith is found alive and well. I heard a preacher once say people are drawn to a church that is holy not only in its head, meaning its founder Christ, but in its members. People are drawn to a church that is not only apostolic in its origin, but how it lives its faith now. People are drawn to a church that is not only founded by Christ over 2,000 years ago, but a church in which they can find him now. We can and must be that faithful, holy remnant. The conscience, the place of light to which our world can always turn to rediscover its soul, its direction, its true meaning. Especially our nation. Friends, I want to speak about the widows. The widows in scriptures are always put forth for a reason. And if you don't know, uh, widows in Old Testament, ancient time, and in Jesus' time, they weren't treated right. And all the laws were written against them. 
in our first reading, the only reason why the widow has a house is because of her son. When her husband died, the son inherited it. And in this case, for the woman, they had a loving relationship. But if the son did not like the mother, he could legally throw her out into the street. And if there was no male heir, but only a female, a daughter, she could inherit. But the male members of that family line, uncles, they were conniving and would attempt to take it from the family. And if there was none of them, guess who went after it? You heard it in the beginning. They devour the houses of widows, the scribes and the Pharisees. No wonder Jesus was so upset with them. The box, the treasury Jesus was talking about was to help the temple and all of its ministries, including the poor. The very box the woman put everything she had into was the very box she was supposed to be taking out of. Part of that collection was for her being a widow and poor. The widow I would liken to today the one that's being described. We have widows, of course, but uh, the widow in that time would have been like our little church lady who's always around. They're always in the church. They're just outside the church. They're in the parking lot. And the little old church lady knows everything. They know when Father comes and leaves. They know what time Father shops. They know when you go to El Pablito and when you leave El Pablito. They know everything. I'm not saying they know everything. I'm bringing this up for a reason. That widow knew the politics and the goings-on of that temple and what the Pharisees and scribes, priests, were up to. And she still contributed all that she had into it. Because she trusted them? No, she didn't trust them. She trusted God, that God, that was his temple. He would understand, he would do what is necessary. So she remained faithful and did what was faithful. She gave all that she had, everything that represented her. My friends, now you know how they treated him. So in spite of the great personal losses, the loss of husband, of financial security, of social standing, the widow did not lose heart. She still had the courage and the strength to place herself in God's hands and to express that confidence and love indeed. Her losses did not turn her into a bitter person. The response of the widows in the scripture particularly the first one in our gospel, 
tells us something about faith. Their challenges in life did not control them or overcome them. Certainly, they experienced terrible pain of loss, made worse by financial insecurity and the loss of social standing in the community. They had no voice anymore. Certainly, they must have struggled with the temptation to give in to despair. But through the very struggles that life threw at them, they became more aware of themselves. They became more aware of life and what it can do. But more importantly, a deeper sense of faith in God in the midst of all things happened for them. This woman, this widow, this example of strong faith in today's gospel proposes a challenge to each of us to lose almost everything and still be ready to give all that one has. What kind of person was she who could do that? Jesus said she gave more than all the others. To understand how she could have done what she did may remain a mystery to modern people. But it is a mystery that gives a clue to the beauty of faith and love, of our Lord's grace and its true power for us. The first reading was a story of a widow who was remarkable, both for her charity of heart for others and her trust in God. The gospel presents our Lord praising a widow in the midst of her hardships, having a spirit of generosity and faith and trust in God. The account of the woman's faith and charity of heart and sincerity will live forever in God's sight. And wherever this gospel is preached, and whenever a minister will preach on it, my friends, finally, Jesus did not use this account to urge one to give their last dollar. The point of the story is simply to put forth what faith and trust in God looks like. And that the Lord's grace does sustain. And perhaps it says that no act of faith or trust or charity ever passes unnoticed or unrewarded by God. My friends, um, as you know, uh, the Archbishop of Seattle has uh, he issued a dispensation to everyone of the faithful members and those who would, uh, who, as they travel into our area, uh, that uh, the dispensation was that uh, the obligation to fulfill the, uh, the Sabbath for us, the Sunday Mass, was lifted and that you could pray, uh, you could stay at home, you can watch Mass on TV, uh, and it was okay. He is removing that dispensation, and rightly so. It will be removed on December 8th. December 8th is the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception, which is then a holy day of obligation for everyone. And so, oh, what does that mean? You're here and like, well, fine, we're here. Don't worry about it. Yeah, well, we need to reach out to those who are not coming. No longer will they have the protection of dispensation. Uh, they will have to come. I mean, um, for some, um, 
the idea of, not church, but uh, uh, the coronavirus and everything um, is seriously hard on them, and they have great anxiety. So uh, we will always have the space in the back for uh, spacing, we'll have the outside, um, but we don't point fingers at them, and we don't treat them different or make them feel terrible. That is not what love would require of us, and certainly not what Jesus would want, but we need to encourage them to return and to, and to take all the measures necessary, and uh, so let us do that, uh, but we need to get the members back in into the house of God, okay? So the Archbishop will write an open letter to the people of Western Washington, that's us, the uh, uh, Catholics, uh, about his decision. And uh, we'll have it available on our website and in the bulletins for all to read. But just letting you know, you won't be able to stay at home and watch TV mass anymore. You'll have to come. It won't fulfill the obligation. Uh, I'm okay with that. I like, I love everyone. I want them to be back. You can't get the Eucharist that way, right? Yeah, you have to be here. Okay.